We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Four. Three. Two. One. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bivens, Vice President of Sales for Pioneer X, and today I'm here with my co-host, Josh. Hi, I'm Josh Hallen, Senior Vice President of Clinical Strategy and Development. Today our guest is Travis Wolf, owner of MedWorld Pharmacy in Sepulpa, Oklahoma. Hey, how are you guys today? Good. Yeah, well. How are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We got daylight here. We got a little bit of rain yesterday. It's been super dry for us. I'm excited to have oh, that yeah. going for us. Yeah, yeah. I think we had a... Uh, like 67 60, days yeah, something of like that no rain. of no rain and then finally like a week or two ago um uh it's finally started to drop so that's Although good our geography is probably not terribly different where is sepulpa oklahoma yeah it's near tulsa it's not very far at all okay so what about four hours from here we're in dallas we're in dallas oh yeah yeah four hours perfect yeah we we drive down there for sure oh right on nice yeah well man uh i think this is like fifth times the charm um, right, yeah, it's gonna be a good one. That's why. Right. Sorry, you got the B team here. Jeff and Marsha are, uh, are traveling, but you got you got me and Josh here. We'll do our best. You know, you guys are gonna do a great job. I look forward to the conversation. <laughs> I will tell you that at Connect, um, Marsha's gonna have a little bit of FOMO. She was a little bit concerned that she might not get in on this deal, oh. and uh, I just told her, you know, it it was uh, up to the the powers that be whether she gets to be a part of this fun conversation or not so I know. And, and in this case literally power i think the first time we tried to do this we had a transformer blow yep. down the road right yep yep yeah we- i think um that happened and then um you know we had computer problems with technology and trying to get oh, uh, the right splitter and and then um Someone was very efficient and mailed me a new iPad, but none of the stuff with it. And then the <laughs> headphones I had with the new iPad. And then after about a 30-minute call God. with tech support, they said, oh, I think we sent you the the one that's supposed to be worked on instead, you know? And oh, so, no. Anyway, I have this amazing, you know, like Pelican brief uh, chest that I really like. And I said, <laughs> right. do I have to send that back? Because at this point, I think it's common law marriage. So yeah. I've had I, it so long. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no kidding. My gosh. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a journey, but you're here now. You're here now. And yeah. Uh, you know, one thing I, I want to give some credentials out about you. I researched you. You're fairly accessible on Facebook as well. So I would just want to kind of tell everybody kind of who Travis Wolf is, at least from a credentials perspective here so i know I'm you're the owner to hear what you found out <laughs> yeah, yeah i want to i want to hear all of this like well, i want to hear what you have we may not have time to go through every bullet point there's a lot here um i know you're the owner of MedWorld pharmacy but also you have two other pharmacies you're the owner of as well right multi-store owner yeah we own uh we own two pharmacies we bought three but one of them we combined under the same roof so it's it's taught you know a lot so we run two locations okay great um you've been pharmacist pharmacist of the year in some flavor like almost every year so you've like almost hit all four majors um they <laughs> the- you know they couldn't find anybody else to give it to <laughs> and i think uh travel plans played into it you know but i was Fairly accessible on Facebook, as you said, so it was easy to invite me. <laughs> uh, you're involved in uh, Flip the Pharmacy, CPSC, uh, CPESN. Um, you're, also, you're also on the board of, I think you're a board member on the board of health in Oklahoma. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very exciting thing. I, uh, I, You know how your phone will sometimes, you get a phone call and it says maybe, and there's like a name, and you're oh, like, okay. you're not, you don't have my phone book. So it says maybe Governor Stitt calling. What? And so, of, of course, I'm thinking <laughs> this is spam. You know, I'm not going to answer that. Uh, and then they called me back again. So I answered it. And uh, yeah, it's the governor's office. And I still have no idea how they came across me. But they were looking for an outside approach to how we can solve chronic disease state issues. And it's been quite interesting because I'm the only and first pharmacist to ever join the Board of Health. The entire board are physicians, and then one person on the board has to be a CEO in a major medical system. 
And so, um, but I'm the first pharmacist. So, that, I mean, some people have been really accepting of that and some people kind of wonder why I don't keep my mouth shut, but I think it's been good so far. So, <laughs> well, you're not there to keep your mouth shut. So you're... absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. And then, uh, you also, I think you're kind of a, a I'm going to call it a program director to a degree of getting pharmacies accredited to do diabetes education. So you basically do coaching there. Um, and you also do consulting slash coaching. I don't know what the term you like to, to call it, but around like, uh, I'm going to say team dynamics, team engagement, you know, how to get the most out of your team. Correct. Yes, that's right. And I, I uh, prefer coach because the coach has actually played the game. Right. Uh, the, yeah. con- the consultants on the, and the stands telling you how to do your job. So oh. yeah, definitely coaching. <laughs> and um, the people, you know, the people is the really most fascinating part that I, I enjoy the most. And I can kind of tell you how we get into that later, but uh, people wasn't where I started. I mean, that, that's where I got to because that's what made the most sense. Right. Okay, cool. And then um, I, I think the last thing I have, I, I, that's, that's everything. The last thing I have is you, uh, you're actually the owner of an elephant named Rojo. <laughs> my my uh, seven-year-old son is an owner oh, of an elephant sorry. named Rojo. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. Uh, and we're going to visit him soon. So uh, nice. Nina is giving us the VIP tour. I think her quote was, uh, your tour guide and your tour conditions will be better than a celebrity who comes from LA. Oh my God. Was what she wow. told me. So we, I really don't know what we're getting into yet. <laughs> Man, just take photos is all I can say. Yeah. Yeah. She, we kind of toyed with the idea of going over there and within a matter of days I had, uh, travel agents from Canada calling right. me again, thought it was spam. <laughs> and she has, you know, some special person in Canada who's been her travel agent for 20 some years and, they know all the best ways to get there and, and what airports to go through. Oh, and nice. she just said they have a small child and there's going to be a need for overnight flights. And next thing I know, we're headed to Amsterdam. So <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. I don't hate this trip. I yeah, want to tag along. Like, <laughs> like, this went yeah. from like talking on the couch to visiting Europe and Africa at the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's going to be quite are, the circle. Are you going to just do a stopover in Amsterdam? Or are you going to stay and hang out for a little bit? No, I mean, I think if we didn't have a seven-year-old with us, we would probably That's stay fair. and hang out for a little while. That's but, fair. Uh, yeah. Probably in his best interest that we don't <laughs> let him see too much while we're there. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. He, he's still having a hard time with not giving homeless people money. He's got a really big heart. Oh, man. And so that when he too, gets man. birthday money, he wants yeah. to just give them cash on the street. And yeah. so it's a hard conversation to have. Yeah, so. yeah my, my daughter did that. We were, we were driving, and there was a, a homeless man on the side of the street. And it was Dallas, so, you know, it happens pretty often. And um, he had a sign, and she's four, so she can't read yet. And she's like, what does the sign say? So I read it to her, and then she's like, can we give him money? And I was like, dang, I, I don't have a good answer for that. So You feel about this big. You you're, do. You're, you're like, you do. so now I have to. Um, but, yeah, you're like, great. All, all my kid heard was this guy needs help. He needs money. We have money. So we gave a dude money on the side of the road. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I do. Not, not a bad thing for your kid to have too much heart, right? Yeah. We take him, um, there, there's a, a little group that serves homeless people in a parking lot in downtown Tulsa. Yeah. And we take him down to serve in that. And, um, you know, honestly, I think he enjoys it because there's a bakery that don't, that donates donuts. And so whatever's left over, you know, he usually gets a donut, a but, little, uh, yeah. he does enjoy the people that are there too. So hey, he wins too. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I you know, it's fascinating to see people through their eyes. I mean, they don't see people the way that we see them. So I think that's a good to take a step back and kind of have another view of the world. That's true. Usually, uh, I don't know. I know with my kiddos, it, it's just, you just usually get a more compassionate view you get older, you get more jaded, I think, in general. But um, uh, we'll 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 move on to well. Well, first thing I wanted to say, I feel like you're in a different status when you when you can say I own an elephant. So <laughs> it's like I'm, I, I think he's well, gonna go gonna go draft shopping while you're there. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was uh, adopted. So I, I know ownership. <laughs> you know, is, is quite the term. But um, I enjoy giraffes. I wouldn't say no to giraffes. Uh, I probably need to watch out for my wife because she really likes cats, you know, so we're supposed to see like the three biggest cats there while we're there too. So oh, that'll be cool. Um, hopefully none of those come home with us. Well, good stuff, man. Well, um, I, I, you know, one thing I couldn't find a lot on that I'd like to like see if you can help me understand. How did you, how did you get into pharmacy? And then you owned a pharmacy almost right out of uh, all of your college. So can you, can you kind of just explain and help us understand how, how you got there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I actually went to work in the hometown pharmacy where I grew up. 
uh, mostly because we were poor and needed extra money. And so when I was about 14, I went to work as a register boy and I did everything. You know, I, I would I would work the register. Uh, you know, it's an old building. So when daylight was coming through the, the cracks, I would get the caulk out, you know, and, and seal up mm-hmm. the daylight. Um, you know, a little bit of everything and then delivery driver. Um, when I turned 18, I became a technician. Uh, and then in college, I actually was headed to medical school. I uh, did an undergraduate degree in biochemistry and molecular biology. And, you know, it just, I think everyone has a plan. You can't really screw it up, but God just kept pulling me more towards pharmacy school. And, uh, you know, that, that wasn't what I had planned on doing, but I thought eventually I said, you know what, I'm just going to apply to pharmacy school. Uh, cause I could apply to it a year earlier than medical school. And, uh, I said, you know, if I get in, I'll go ahead and go to pharmacy school, but I'm going to go to medical school afterwards. Oh. And, um, so I'm going to do that first. And so if I don't get in, then I'll apply to both the following year. So I applied to pharmacy school. Um, and really that is where my passion was at anyway, um, going through pharmacy school and just seeing where the future of pharmacy was headed. Uh, I was, I think, overwhelmed by how accessible the community pharmacist is. You know, that's another thing you got to kind of battle is in pharmacy school, they're, they're pushing all these clinical skills and res- residencies and clinical pharmacists. And I'm all about, you know, continuing education and residency. But I just think that the community pharmacist doesn't get the credit they deserve because uh, in the very near future, you know, the community pharmacist is going to be the extender of primary care. And you can see it in states right now. Um, I'm having some tremendous conversations I'd love to tell you about later between the CDC and CMS for community pharmacists. Um, and so, um, I mean, I just think it's really the place to be. So I finished pharmacy school. Uh, I said, man, I really like this. I told my wife, I probably am going to go to medical school, but I'm going to do this first. And so we were headed out of the state. We wanted to have, you know, a little bit of time. She's a pharmacist too. And so, um, we wanted to get out of the state and go somewhere else. And then, um, the guy that I grew up working for has just been a phenomenal mentor for me. And um, we had went to, to lunch, you know, about six months before I graduated. And I just thought we were having, you know, dinner as friends and, and had said, you know, he's like, well, what's your plan? What are you going to do? And I said, we're going to buy a pharmacy. Well, how are you going to do that? And I kind of laid out exactly how I wanted the plan to work. Uh, it was a hybrid of several different models I have seen. And uh, anyway, so fast forward a few months, I just thought it was dinner with a friend. And so he comes and just lets me know, hey, there is a pharmacy for sale in your wife's hometown. And it's been it's been open for 30 years. You know, they don't come up for sale very often. Uh, I know you guys are headed to the East Coast, but you might want to look at this. And so we looked at it and, you know, we had always planned to own a pharmacy someday, but we didn't think it would be that soon. Um, And so with his with his mentorship and with him as a business partner, um, you know, it was kind of fascinating how the bank will actually give you money if you make good grades, even if you don't have money. <laughs> so, Interesting. Um, okay. so we got a loan and, um, we actually bought the first store. Um, he was our partner, of course, we actually bought that store, um, at, while we were still in school. So as an intern, I was coming in and managing technicians and, you know, a 67 year old pharmacist to keep me legal was, because I only had an intern license. Yeah. You didn't have, have a full <laughs> license yet. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, so that was kind of the pharmacy story. And then I ended up just falling in love with the access to care. Um, and, and of course we're pretty progressive, so we don't just put pills in a bottle and, and just continuing to add services and just seeing how we could add our community. I, I remember that very first year when we, we started offering flu shots, we were the first pharmacy offer flu shots in our town and our, our town's decent size. It's about 20,000 people. Okay. We have not nine pharmacies though for 20,000 wow. people, which is a lot. seems like a lot. Um, and two of those are, are Walmarts. Mm-hmm. And you know, at that time, Walmart, they still were hiring nurses to come in on certain days of the week to give shots. Right. The yeah. pharmacy wasn't even doing it. So that first year I was all excited to order all these flu shots and I don't even think we gave a hundred flu shots and now oh. we do thousands, but oh, wow. uh, it was a game changer, you know, for the community for sure. Wow. Uh, it's, it's so that's so you how how'd you get to second and third or combining the two and three uh, or maybe you combined one and three I, I'm not sure which ones you combined but like how did you get to the second and third then yeah so uh, we kept growing here uh, at the first store that I bought and um, there was a store not very far just a few blocks from us and I knew that the owner was nearing retirement uh, and so I had kind of reached out to him and, and and talked to him quite a bit and just said hey if you ever want to sell uh, my wife's a pharmacist too. 
um, you know, she was working for a chain. We didn't have the money at the at the first location yet for us both to work here. Okay. And so I said we would love to have you know the extra business to bring her as well. Uh, and it is hard because her her whole family is from this town. You know, grandmas and uncles and aunts, and so they're wondering. Why is the hometown girl who we've all been so excited about to become a doctor of pharmacy not working in the store that you guys own? And we were trying to make it, you know, so that I was the kind of the stand in the front because um, we knew we wanted to have kids one day and she might not want to work every day of the week. Right. And so what was hard for her family is she wasn't number one in the store and it didn't make sense to make her number two either. We needed another pharmacist. So God forbid we want to go on vacation sometime or okay. have a family right. emergency. Yeah. Um, and so we actually had to build the business big enough to hire a second pharmacist full time. Uh, and then we were positioned at that point to buy that second store. Okay. And, um, we bought it and we combined it under the roof just because of location. It was a, it was a really like decent business that they had going there. Um, we hired a lot of their staff. Okay. Um, and so, you know, at this point I didn't even have all the certifications in psychology and stuff that I do now. I was just trying to make you know, originally a staff of, of people who had been there for 30 years do new things like give a flu shot or do an MTM session, um, you know, consider a little bit of disease state along with the drugs. So I had to learn a little bit of employee engagement doing that. And then growing the store, they, they were in a spot where they didn't want to grow. I mean, literally, they would answer the phone the first week I was here. They would listen to the patient, put them on hold, and they would say, Hey, someone's calling for a price on XYZ drug. They're not our patient. So I, you know, I should give them a higher price, right? So they don't come here. And oh, it's wow. just like, I couldn't even believe it. So I had to change that mindset. Um, and okay. then I hired everyone who wanted to keep working from the second store I bought. Um, the only one that didn't was, was uh, a great lady who is still very good friends of ours, but um, she was, she was into her seventies already and had told the owner of that store, she was going to retire 10 years before and, and <laughs> hmm. she wouldn't retire till he did. So, um, so yes, yeah, so we bought that combined under the, under the roof. So now we had old staff, I had new staff whenever we had grown. Right. And then I moved the staff from that store into, um, and then the third store wasn't until about three years after that. And, um, it, it again was a, a store that was about 20 minutes from me. Um, and, and it was where it was ran really well. The owner of it was really young. And so, uh, I just think she was pretty scared of DIR fees and stuff. Uh -oh. Yeah. Uh, so we bought it and, and she's been wonderful. She still works there a lot for me, even though we own it. Um, and it, it was a perfect transition because I had a phenomenal student who I had convinced to come back and work for me at the store number one. Uh, and she has an MBA and a PharmD. And so she had learned all my systems at store one okay. before we put her at store three. And so she's a fit pharmacy manager down there. And it's been it's been beautiful. I mean, she's very, very smart, very smooth, very efficient. Um, but again, that owner that sold, you know, I think it's always good to have a good relationship with whoever you're buying from. And, uh, you know, she she will text me at, you know, 11 o'clock at night to say somebody forgot to pick up their kid. This really happened. True story. A few weeks ago, someone forgot to pick up their kid's seizure medicine and she just she wanted to know if I, she could go in and get it for them because I would see that she turned the alarm off and turn it back on in the middle of the night. And you can't beat that. Yeah, I said, right. absolutely. Thank, thanks for doing it. You know, I'm laying in right. bed. I don't I don't want to get out of bed and go do that. I would. <laughs> no but thank kidding. you for doing that. Yeah. Right. So when you combined the first two stores, was there like what did you learn from that? Right. You, you brought two people, two stores together who may have seen each other as competitors prior to that. So how'd that go? Yeah, so, um, you know, that's where I really first started kind of seeing the light to people engagement and just learning that uh, no matter what you want to implement into your pharmacy, it's it's about the people. So the people that are working with you, it's about how you interact with them, the relationships you build with them. And, you know, I'll be really honest with, with those three different subsets. Um, you know, I learned a lot about conflict management. And I'm actually teaching a really fun conflict management uh, class at NCPA this year. And so um, I'm hoping I have a full house because I plan on using a lot of volunteers in the audience. Nice. Um, you know, you know, going through what I know now and that experience, you asked me about that. There were a lot of things I did and I didn't know why they would work or I didn't know why they didn't work. You know, I would fail, too, but I didn't have the knowledge behind why that worked or why it didn't work. And um, we had been, you know, combining them, but we had the original staff. I had hired new staff that had been, worked at a chain pharmacy as we grew. 
And then, um, you know, I had hired everyone from that store and it was just three different, you know, completely different mindsets that didn't know um, how they wanted to implement things and how they wanted to interact with everything from, you know, the phone conversation to someone coming in the door. And, you know, I just tried to take the best care of them that I could. But I, I learned a lot about conflict management. And, um, you know, we did have a few blow ups and I, I didn't know what to do about that. And so, um, you know, fast forward to now, you know, you ask what we learned about that. We, um, with all that conflict, we kept adding new programs like diabetes education. And, and we know we teach um, COPD action plans and we teach asthma action plans. We do all this in the hospital nice. also here in town. We do heart failure education, trying to keep people out of the hospital. Um, so doing all of that, you know, it's kind of funny because when you go to any kind of conference, you know, Connect was a, a phenomenal conference. Um, you know, you see it at NCPA, you see it at others where a pharmacy or a pharmacist has success and and you want them to come and teach others what they did. So, you know, that's where it kind of started for me was was teaching. Here's how you do diabetes education. And here's how, you know, here's how we won. Um, you know, Outcomes MTM called me one day and said, hey, you're the number one pharmacy for medication therapy management. Wow. And I, I told them that they had the wrong place. They needed to, <laughs> they needed to go back and check. I literally did, and I hung up on them. And uh, they called back 20 minutes later, and they said, is your NPI this? And, you know, is your NCPDP this? And I said, yes. And they said, no, I talked to you earlier. You really are the number one center. So, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, I about fell over. So we, you know, working through all that, I was teaching that. And then about the third or fourth time I was going to teach at NCPA, you know, they planned a call and said, hey, so let's go over what all you've done this year and figure out what would be most helpful for people to hear about. And so I went through, like, we did this, and we did this, we did this, we did this. So at the end of it, it was actually NCPA education team that said, you know, I think instead of teaching about any of these clinical services that you're doing, you know, I think that you're good at employee engagement and implementation. And I said, I never thought about that. I just thought I was you know, running around crazy trying to get everyone organized. And so um, that's where I really started, you know, teaching on implementation, employee engagement. Um, and so as I started teaching that, the outcomes were were pretty short-sighted. I mean, people would do really good in the beginning, but it wasn't, it wasn't you know, sustained. And for me, as I was teaching people, I really wanted to teach them how to fish. I didn't want them to have to be dependent on me. And, and as a coach, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Is right. teach people how to play the game without you. you they don't, shouldn't need me. Um, they shouldn't have to, you know, have me, you know, on retainer all the time. Now, some people say they're never going to do it without me, but I take no greater pleasure than to say, hey, I think you're good without me. You know, let's do it. You know, why don't you try it without me? Holler if you need something. Um, but, you know, in that journey, I had taken what I had learned from those three staffs that you originally asked about and and tried to apply the things that had worked best for me and then teach people what not to do for things that didn't work for me. Um, and then when those outcomes were short-sighted, I went back and got a teaching certificate thinking maybe I'm not teaching mm. what I know the best way. Okay. Uh, and that helped a little bit, you know, they, we got a little bit longer sustainability. Um, and then eventually I, it kind of clicked. I said, I think it's all about the people and how do you get each person to show up their best self? How do we, uh, more quickly identify those that don't belong there? And mm-hmm. give them the choice to either join our values and and get into that mindset, or to help them find another job. You know, it's nothing hateful. Um, and then, how do I, you know, show them, uh, you know, very obviously that they're choosing not to work for me, that I'm not firing you, mm-hmm. because I've, right. I've laid out very fairly how we can meet it on the same on the same page. Um, and so that led me to a psychology of leadership certification from Cornell. And that's where it just clicked. I mean, all of a sudden I said, you know, I am one of 36 board certified ambulatory care pharmacists in Oklahoma. I can do the clinical stuff. I do like the clinical stuff. I do enjoy diabetes ed, but it's, it really lights me up as the people, you know, how can I get people engaged? Because I say this all the time that if we want to be providers, we have to look like providers. Uh. And you can walk into a community pharmacy today, and still today, the pharmacist is doing almost all of the work beyond dispensing. I do right. believe that COVID vaccinations changed that to some degree. But, um, you know, even before then, I just feel like the pharmacist is doing the MTM 
in addition to checking the prescriptions. A pharmacist is trying to find time outside of that schedule to teach diabetes education. The pharmacist is pulling the vaccine, prepping the vaccine, giving the vaccine, you know, right. everything the pharmacist is doing. And, and the success here is how can we engage all of our people so that we can oversee some of the projects and but help all of them work on top of their license. And then you can work on three, four, five, six different things at one time, make sustainable progress towards all of them and, and hitting all of those goals uh, and, and do it so people love it. People love coming to work. Right. And so just kind of getting into that mindset, um, you know, I got to see, I got to see a lot of, you know, this is why this worked. This is why this didn't work. Um, you know, and then and then really seeing the psychology behind it um, has helped me for every, you know, certification or educational path after that. It's really helped me to focus on that so that I can, um, you know, figure out how we can help those that have really big stumpers. And so, you know, um, what the hard part is some people, they don't realize that they have culture problems. Uh. And I can't say, you know, hey, you got culture problems, you need to fix it, you know, so. So why can't you say that? Uh, it's like saying, hey, you're fat, you need to lose weight. I mean, <laughs> I mean essentially, you know, it's offensive. You know, they have mm. to come to that realization. And, um, you know, I can say that all day long, but until they're bought into it, the owner's not going to take my recommendations. And, and so a lot of times we have to start on something like diabetes or, you know, implementing something into their, their workflow and then when they ask, you know, Susan, who's worked there for 35 years to do something different in her day, and then she blows up and then someone else blows up and then they say, oh, my gosh, I have culture problems. And then I can say, you You're don't right. say, <laughs> you know, let's, let's work on that. You know, that. it's and funny. We had, I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about they weren't implementing a program at their store because one of their technicians had been there forever and she was cranky and it was like, yeah, that that's the problem, not the fact that you can't implement that program is that you won't do it because you have one person that's cranky, right? Like, yeah, and and I've lived that. I've lived that life where early or in the early days I was held hostage by a certain technician, and mm. that happens a lot. That happens right. to a lot of yeah. pharmacists. They they don't implement it. They don't want to overcome that, and that's one of the big reasons why I, I wanted to teach conflict management at NCPA this year is because if you can work through that conflict, you can you can really get a lot farther with people. And, you know, I think that um, when, when we're diving into some of that conflict management and we're trying to learn a little bit more about employee engagement, um, pharmacists are nice people. And so they tend to be avoiders and they tend to just pretend like nothing's wrong. And that doesn't always that doesn't always bode well for us. And, um, you know, if we look if we look now at how we can get people to show up, I mean, it's so fun for me for someone to come to me wanting to fire someone. And then we learn, you know, the communication issue or, you know, someone's just not being heard. And then at the end of the day, the person wants to work there. They're doing a good job. And then the person who wanted to fire them can't believe that this this happened. And um, I keep kind of a when I'm having bad days, I keep kind of a collection of the text messages I get, you oh, know, nice. and the other, mm -hmm. the other day I was looking through and, you know, one said, uh, oh, my gosh, this person just quit, you know. And it was someone who was bossing them around. I, I taught them how to do one conversation with this person that would allow them to choose. And it wasn't it wasn't a hear me roar. I am right. in charge. You know, it was let's get on the same page. Let's figure out what your desires really are. I want to tell you what my desires are for the future of this business and how how can we fit you into that puzzle? And they had one conversation with them and it took three days and the person turned in their notice and they left. Um, you know, I have another one that. I was looking at that said, um, you're not going to believe this, but this this person, when we were closing, they filled all the vial drawers and they put printer paper in the printer before we left and they vacuumed the floor before I could get the alarm set. And, you know, before they wouldn't even show up to work on time. You know, this is this is like magic here. What's huh. going on? Nice. And it's just trying to figure out, you know, what what shows them they're valued. We're all human and we want to be seen. So I, I want to go a little off topic where you were talking about if you want to be a provider, you should be seen as a provider. And one of the things that I've noticed, and, and we visit a lot of pharmacies less now than I'd like, but it, you walk into a lot of independent pharmacies and they don't look like a place where you'd go visit a provider, right? The biggest, you know, I guess 
what they look like is more like a 7-Eleven than a place where you get healthcare. So what do you do about that when you kind of come in and look and say, like, if you if everybody wants to feel like a provider, do you start with the appearance of their store? Uh, I think you can, but, you know, I see people do some pretty phenomenal things in a not-so-pretty building. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know that you need to change uh, the environment as much as you need to change how your staff engage with them. Uh, but I'll be the first to say, you know, both of my buildings are not super pretty. I mean, they're, they were pharmacies for 20 years and 30 years before I bought them. And I have done some remodeling and some painting and stuff. But we, you know, the insides are a lot nicer than the outsides. I think it has to do with how your team approaches the problem that the patient's bringing in the door. I think that's mm-hmm. the first step. And yeah. so I, was um, someone, say, I don't think it's necessarily they have to be pretty. I've seen some like really old, super charming pharmacies that have been pharmacies for, you know, a hundred years, they look like a pharmacy, right? When you walk in, the people back there look like it would be if you walked into a doctor's office or a dentist office or something like that. Maybe not that sterile, but it looked like the people behind it were professional and doing their job. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's more like what I was going for. Not necessarily like you have to walk into a, a pretty sterile white environment. Mm-hmm. You just have to look and walk into a place that feels like a place where you'd get healthcare. Yeah, and I think um, as as bad as it is, you know, I told you one of my favorite things of being a community pharmacist is the access to care people can get. Mm-hmm. But I think that is to a to a point our downfall also, right. and people don't give you the value that you do because you are so accessible. And I think that's where your people can really help you out. You know, if it's someone right. besides the pharmacist calling to schedule your appointment. If it's someone besides the pharmacist calling to remind you of right. your appointment, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've got one coaching client right now who is is wonderful. They gave over 10,000 COVID vaccines. I mean, they, they're they a really big store um, and it's a it's a very smart young owner. And I have had the hardest time convincing them to move to the appointment based model. And, you know, I won't out them because appointment based model was required for COVID vaccines, but they never used it. Anyone who walked in got a COVID vaccine. And as soon as they popped a vial open, they went to call on anyone and everyone in town to not waste that vial. And, you know, we learned a ton as a profession with COVID vaccines because everyone set up that appointment-based model for everything from, you know, an MTM to a diabetes education to uh, maybe it's the sink call, you know, they've been in the hospital and you're just trying to figure out what they're on, what they're not on. It's scheduling that stuff and having them be ready for your phone call they come in wanting something and saying, yes, we'd love to help you with that. Let me schedule you an appointment. It, it's a mindset change. You know, they don't, mm-hmm. they don't see that. And um, the more that you can kind of separate that out, the more profitable your programs can become as well. That, that's super interesting. Um, the, I'm going to back up to even something else you kind of talked about where you started these new programs. What, what, when, when you, I'm sure you coach too, not just on team and uh, team building and things like that, but I'm sure you do a fair amount of coaching on like, how do I just stand up a new vaccine program? Right. Yeah. I, I looked at your website. It looked really rich uh, of what you guys do and do for your community. Um, what's your advice for, for somebody who's like, man, I, I don't even do them yet, but I want to talk through it with someone. Yeah. I think that's pretty common. And I think you know, vaccines are even high level for some folks, you know, sometimes just making your workflow more efficient, you know, can be a big deal for some of those pharmacies. But, you know, if they were just going to start out and they hadn't done any of that, you know, you, you talked about our website, becoming a community stakeholder is really important. And that's something that we cannot um, ever be beat by in a chain pharmacy. They're never going to be shown as a community stakeholder. Um, you know, my my location number three that we bought, um, we've had a fairly difficult time growing that location. It's just a really tiny town. And um, everyone is is elderly, so they pass away. And, and we've had a hard time replacing those folks. And we have done all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm talking giving away Yeti coolers and flat screen TVs and, you know, can't figure it out. Well, last week, we invited a taco truck to come make street tacos and we offered free tacos for anyone that wanted food. We delivered to the school. We delivered to a senior citizen center. Uh, You know, we, we did this and we have gotten more just raves out of tacos 
than we've ever gotten out of you know free fifty dollar gift cards sure. and prizes. And it's because uh, people are hungry. They don't have restaurants in the town. Fair. Uh, it's free food. We ran out of tacos. I mean, we we completely ran out. We ran out of food, and we had a ton. I mean, the taco truck did not have any food left in their in their truck. So, um, I think just showing your community stakeholder, you know, in in the city of Sepulpa, where our main store's at. Uh, my wife and I also worked uh, to help open a free clinic. And I think that's been pretty awesome because we've got, um, you know, we've had the free clinic open since 2019. Right. And we've had a tremendous uh, group of physicians who have been helping us out. And they, they've they been seeing patients since then. Uh, we only got the pharmacy open a few months ago. It was a lot harder to open a free pharmacy than it was a retail <laughs> pharmacy. There's a lot more red tape um, associated with that. But I think doing things like that, you know, um, in both towns that we practice in, uh, we offer free laundry day right before Thanksgiving where people can, we'll just be there to help them um, fold their laundry and stuff, but we also pay for all their laundry that day. So when wow. they come in, mm-hmm. so um, just different ways that you can give back. And, and it's only, you know, for me, the community is is what supports us. That's why we yeah. have our doors open. So why, why wouldn't we be supporting them? So I think if they want to start a vaccine program, I would start by making sure they are a stakeholder because it is going to be a totally out of the box idea that they're offering vaccines. Yeah. Um, I think that w- that's where I would start. That makes total mm-hmm. sense actually. Yeah, um, and it fits in line, you know, we, through oh, COVID, we talked to a bunch everybody. of people, you know, like almost everybody that's been successful in this has had some kind of relationship with public health or, you know, local, anything, the chamber of commerce, whoever it was, they've had relationships with their community and all of those things are, that's what made them successful. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I'll, I'll go on another tangent here real quick. I, I kind of touched on this earlier, but um, what's been really neat is I had the privilege to uh, get on a phone call with uh, a very high commander in the CDC. And honestly, I didn't know what I was walking into. Uh, you know, I thought it was just another person wanting to know about diabetes education and how to bill for it. And, you know, uh, we scheduled it and I I didn't prepare anything. You know, I had, I worked the bench for an hour while a pharmacist was out and I came back and sat down on my zoom and I start looking, I'm thinking, wow, they're, they're in a really fancy uniform. That looks pretty official, you know, <laughs> that's got so many and, medals, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 It's really funny. Um, so it's really interesting, but, um, the CDC and what's fun is I've seen all this happen in my community, but the CDC, they were so thankful for the response of community pharmacists to, COVID vaccines. And they said, what other things can community pharmacists do that we could farm out from our local health departments and refer patients? Uh, The money is already coming from things like Medicare. So we just need to find out what they're allowed to bill for. It won't cost us anything, but we're going to gain back time and resources because we're going to refer all them to community pharmacies. Well, you know, this conversation started about a month ago. If you rewind about three months ago, I've actually seen this play out. My local health department took me to lunch, bought my lunch, wanted to quiz me about how we could bill for diabetes education patients from their office. And, uh, you know, so I've seen them trying to do this. Well, the CDC, the whole point of the call was, hey, we want community pharmacies to be our right-hand man. We want them to be our referral source. However, when we engage a pharmacy to, to do diabetes education or anything besides COVID vaccines, they're not as interested. We don't have the uptake hmm. that we did hmm. with COVID vaccines. And so I just immediately said, well, the billing for us is a nightmare. Yeah. And even someone who has been an accredited program who has went through all the extra steps to be a certified diabetes education site, or uh, I could go on, there's a big long list of things, you know? Right. Um, what happens, I was telling them is that, you know, the pharmacy is billing all that stuff on multiple different NPIs and PTAN numbers. And even with the experience we have, using what I consider to be one of the best billing companies there is, because we've tried them all, uh, our numbers still get switched up in rejections. And we have to you know, go back and say, hey, this PTAN doesn't belong here because that was the PTAN for diabetes education. And you should have used the PTAN for ostomy bags. You know? Right. Um, you know, it's all switching it back and forth. And so the CDC says, wow, we didn't, we didn't know this was a problem. And I said, hey, so this would be fixed. You know, you asked about COVID vaccines. You, you gave pharmacists the authority to be a provider so that we could prescribe those and we could bill that under our own pharmacist NPI. Right. 
So it cleared out all the background numbers that now you're trying to line up. And I said, that is why it was so much smoother. And I said, if if CMS would go ahead and give us limited uh, provider authority and let us use our pharmacist NPI for more things, we would have so many roadblocks removed. So the CDC went to the CMS and then the CMS is saying, no, there's there's no problem billing. Look at all these dollars we're paying out to pharmacies. So after a number of conversations, because CDC came back and said, well, here's what they said. And so I said, well, the point they said here contradicts this point, and this point contradicts this, and what they're saying doesn't make sense. I think we need to look into it further. So this has turned into a tremendous project that I'm, I feel so fortunate to be a part of. So all of these denials that we get for anything on the medical side, right. it gets fixed by our biller or our MAC, our Medicare Administrative Contractor, before right. C- CMS ever sees it. So CMS doesn't even know it's a problem for us to bill for all these things. And, and the MACs, they don't want to pull the denials because they don't want to look like they don't know what they're doing. Right. The billers don't want to pull their denials because they don't want to look like they don't know what they're doing. And meanwhile, you have pharmacists who just think they're doing it wrong. That's why they're not getting paid. So then they don't do any of the services. And so um, it's fast forwarded to now. I've been collecting from anyone I know billing on the medical side. And, and, and if anyone's listening to this, uh, you can send this stuff to me at Travis at farmfurther.com, P-H-A-R-M-F-U-R-T-H-E-R. I just need your NPI numbers and the MAC of the, of the locality that you're in. It's all I need. And I'm providing that weekly as an update to Medicare. And Medicare can use that to go into the MAC's records to find these denials to figure out all, all the reasons why these numbers get jumped up in the background. And so we're in the data collection phase right now. Okay. But if I can show enough people are having problems with this, then it's going to warrant them to have another discussion with me about the provider status and how we could use uh, you know, our NPI uh, as a pharmacist at a pharmacy. And that would be you know, career changing. That would be a right. game changer. Um, so I'm very, very excited about that. Well, that would be the, the kind of the holy grail that APHA has been going for for what? A decade now oh, or more forever yeah. yeah yeah and and i think that um you know there's there's more than one way uh, to get there and we have to be approaching from all the efforts you know i was fortunate mm-hmm. to sit on another committee for cpesn uh where we were trying to get paid um, as pharmacists for the paxlovid consults yep uh because you know with amina's training that i mentioned earlier we have pharmacists that work inside physicians clinics just like hers and for the type of review we're doing for Paxlovid consults in the pharmacy, that would be easily a level three office visit if a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant or or a physician were doing those visits because there is there is clinical decision making. You're you're reviewing right. the medication list to look for drug interactions. You're making dose recommendations based on their their kidney function. I mean it's it's really it's not just, you know, we're checking some boxes to make sure that they haven't had steroids in the last seven days and give them a flu shot. You know, there's real medical decision-making happen. So on that committee with CPSN, you know, they were in conversation with Medicare about them paying pharmacists for, um, you know, for these services. And, you know, the conversation came up that how much money do you want us to ask for? And, you know, CMS is considering making a whole separate code that's special to pharmacists for Paxlovid consults. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want that. I would take less money if we can use the 99 EMN visit codes just like a physician, because that would be right. a bigger win for our profession if we could do it that way. And uh, so, you know, they're still in conversations to figure that out, but I think that that is the key if we keep pushing this. Um, you know, we were fortunate to get uh, our Medicaid in the state of Oklahoma to start covering diabetes education, which is fascinating. You know, we're, that hasn't been happening, and there right. are lots of Medicaids that still don't cover it. There are some mm-hmm. that do. So ours covers it. But even though we've been an accredited program for years, when they went to enroll us as providers, they ended up having us, they wouldn't create a pharmacist provider profile. We had to apply as a certified diabetes educator and get rejected. And then you reply back to that rejection with your pharmacist license and date and your accreditation certificate for your diabetes education program. And, you know, they're creating themselves more work they could just make a pharmacist a provider in their system and, and we could we could move on to that. But um, but I do want to get back to people. You know, I think you, you've mentioned a lot of good things on people. I think that uh, people look at immunizations, they look at diabetes education, they look at those dollars. 
you know, our margins are always crunching right now, you know, as community pharmacists. And so um, I, I would love for people to see the opportunity they're missing out on in employee engagement. And, and we have a ton of statistics because there's a lot of cost that I feel like is wasted. And, um, you know, if you look at culture, the, the Gallup poll, they're one of the best ones to kind of rate your, your culture and stuff. And I mean, they say that when you don't put in the effort on culture, you've got, uh, I believe it's 37% higher absenteeism in your staff. Oh, wow. You've got 60% more errors. Um, it is 18% lower productivity, 16% lower profitability. And I mean, that could be huge. You know, if you're for every $1 million in sales you're doing in revenue, you know, 16%, that's $160,000 in lost opportunities. And, um, you know, further, if, if you get into that employee engagement, they did a study um, over five years. And over that five years, they showed that um, that stores could add 85% to their revenue lines if they just had good culture and focused on, you know, engaging their employees. And um, part of the new data I'm going to present NCPA, it's from a study they completed in 2021, but um, it actually found that 89% of workers, and, and the study is like, it's across a wide range of companies and industries. Um, you know, 80, 89% of workers are spending about three and a half hours a week on conflict at work. And wow. so, I mean, if you think about that, if you have 10 people, I'm just going on averages here, 10 people that work for your pharmacy, 89%. So nine people are spending three and a half hours on conflict that you're paying for, you know, we're at 31.5 hours. So yeah. you have a whole nother full-time technician position that you're paying for and not getting anything out of because people are dealing with conflict. And it's not just people are yelling at each other, you right. know, it's, it's the things we do because we don't want to be yelling. It's, it's the avoiding, right. it's the, right. the, the you know, quiet pettiness. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The pettiness or no one, no one goes to lunch, you know, because right. they don't want to step on anyone's toes. And then it ends up being three o'clock and everyone's mad because right. no one's had lunch, you know, um, it's little things like that. But, you know, there's, there's also fascinating, um, research on how to get people to change. And, and, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit too, but when you look at, asking staff to do something different. You know, I, you talked about um, immunizations. So, you know, let's get let's get employee stakeholder citizenship. Let's get buy-in from our employees because we don't want to be the one doing all the work. Let's get them to help screen people. Let's get them to help, you know, prep the shot, choose the vaccine. Um, you know, at this point, you can have a technician giving a lot of immunizations depending on where you live at. And um, would you guys mind if I went into like the new research for how to get people to change their mind? Uh, I would not? love it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let okay. Yes. <laughs> so this is really neat. So, um, Jonah Berger is the lead researcher on this and, and I mean, who doesn't want to change someone's mind, right? You want to, you want to, yeah, I mean like that's Mark's whole job. Like, yeah. Like you want to convince your spouse to go to dinner where you want to go to dinner, right. right? Or not to go see the mother-in-law on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> I mean, you, everyone wants to change someone's mind about something, but never your um, mother-in-law. Never, never the mother-in-law. She's always right. Uh, but the kids, you know, the kids, yeah. we got to change yeah. their minds occasionally, right? Um, so there's there's five basic uh, aha moments that were in the research that, that Jonah found. Um, and, and he kind of starts off with, you know, hey, when we want to change something and change someone's mind, a lot of times we start with the physical world. So if I want to move a chair, I'm going to push a chair and I'm going to push harder until it actually moves and it's going to move across the room. I'm going to change its physical state. So we, we associate a lot of how we're going to change someone's mind with the physical state changes. And so, um, you know, the number one thing he says is don't push harder. We just need to take the parking brake off. So if someone is not wanting to change their mind, let's find out what is holding them up. What is the barrier that they have their brakes on for? And, you know, in, in one of his books, he goes into if a parking brake is on in a car, we can put it in drive, we can give it more gas, we can turn the wheels, but it's not going to go anywhere, right? Not very fast anyway, until we get the parking brake off. So if we try to change someone's mind, we think that if we just add that more information or more good reasons, then they're eventually going to do whatever we ask. But actually what we found is adding more pressure, it only creates more resistance. And so, you know, instead, if, if we'll work on, you know, thinking, 
um, about sitting in a car, parking that gentle slope, kind of getting that analogy going. Then when we push harder and harder, it doesn't get anywhere. We can remove those brakes and, and get barriers to action removed so that the persuasion kind of happens naturally. The car's going to start rolling on the hill when those are off. Um, number two was, was somewhat related, but it was to reduce basically their reactance, so how they react to the change by offering a choice. Um, and, you know, I experiment all these on my kid and, <laughs> and, and my team as well, right? My team knows that I'm always experimenting and trying new things. They know if I suggest something, it's just kind of me testing the water. You know, it's not hmm. so much I'm really going to make the change, but uh, they're wonderful people. So if we're going to reduce the reactants, you know, we need to give them a little bit of freedom of control over our lives. I mean, um, and I kind of relate this a little bit to salesmen. I mean, when you have a salesman, everyone's guards just go up, you know. The minute the car salesman is walking towards you, you're thinking, we are not buying a car. We are not buying a car. Uh, And that kind of comes, too, from some owners, especially the high-level, like, innovators. Uh, You know, a lot of them that I work with, their teams just, they dread, oh, my gosh, what is our next idea going to be? Because it's going to cause more work. And so to disarm those defenses, you can give someone a menu of two or three options. And some might be worse than others, but they got options and they, they got a chance to choose a little bit of what, what they could do. Um, another big one is just kind of in de- like easing their endowment, basically, by pointing out the cost of the status quo. Um, you know, people are just naturally attached to the things that they're already doing, the ideas that they already have. Um, I remember when I bought my very first store, um, they were still stamping the back of every class two narcotic with a red N. And they were still stamping the back of every three through five with a red C, which was a rule like 25 years ago. Right. Right. It's like, what a waste of time to go in through all those books and stamping those hard copies. You know, by the way, the, the prescription number is printing an N or a C, you know, next to the number. Right. You know, they, they couldn't give up that stamp. And so um, helping them loosen their grip and just show them all the time you're spending on that, you know, the, the status quo is not really as easy or harmless as we might think. And so if we can make the inconvenience of the change look more appealing than the cost of the inaction, um, that tends to really help people to kind of change their mind a little bit. And I think pharmacists run into this a lot with patients too, you know, and and I use these techniques a lot with, with the people I coach, try to help them figure out how can we move this person forward. Um, another one, which is, it seems simple, but we don't ever do it, is is we shrink the distance by asking for less. And so if you're gonna start, you know, immunizations was your example earlier, instead of saying, hey, let's give a thousand immunizations this year, you know, hey, let's start immunizations. Uh, tell me what you think you'd be interested in and helping me with, you right. know, when someone walks in the door mm-hmm. wanting one of those. And 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 we hope that if we, um, you know, if people have a different political persuasion, we'll suddenly get it, you know, is what we think. And we're immediately gonna switch to our side of the ideas, but, right. Um, we got to shrink that distance. So ask for less first, get that to go in, and then you can always you can always ask for more later. You know, once it goes well and they see it's not that bad now that we've started. Yeah. Um, and, and once it's like a manageable change, you know, there's there's a fascinating guy that contributed to this research. He's a physical trainer who was like a bodybuilder, and he had an accident and he's paralyzed now. And so he had to figure out how to be a personal trainer and make a living sitting in a wheelchair, not being able to show people how to do the workout. And, you know, one thing that he has really gotten into is the psychology behind behaviors and and how people show up to act. And, um, you know, one thing that he has started is, you know, let's get the routine of you showing up to the gym. So I want you to right. come and I want you to work out for five minutes <clears throat> and you can choose. Is it three days a week, four days a week, whatever you choose, uh. we're going to do it every every week. And once you're coming for five minutes every single week, three times a week, now I can add on five more minutes and it's not that big a deal to you. Right. And then I can add on five more minutes. And so just kind of getting to start. Um, And then, you know, the number five is just alleviate uncertainty by lowering the barrier, basically, to to whatever you're going to trial. And I always, you know, I quote a lot of different authors. So I love to read just organizational psychology. But uh, Jim Collins always says, don't ever tell people. Uh, how you're going to get there, always tell them where where you're headed. Right. And mm. I think that's part of that lowering that barrier to the trial is, hey, guys, we're going to we're going to try this for a little while. Here's where we're trying to get. That's where we're headed. And what we're about to change in workflow may or may not work. And I might change my mind tomorrow, but we're just going to we're going to try it and see how it works. And I think, you know, getting that um, combination, you know, I, I told you about employee engagement. I think there's a quote I really like that says if, if a child is is poor in math and, and good at tennis, 
Uh, most people would would hire a math tutor, but I would rather hire a tennis coach. You know, that's that's from the um, nine lies of, of work. You know, we think mm-hmm. everyone needs to be uh, cross trained and right. diverse. Right. But the research now shows if, if they call it, um, I think they call it pointy in the book. You know, we, we want to lean into people's pointiness. You know, how can we lean into their strengths? Um, but if, if you can figure out what their strengths are, <clears throat> if you can understand what makes them show up their best self. Um, you know, another quote, um, another quote is, is kind of interesting that I think helps people show up their best self. But, um, you know, if, if you want to say that learning, you know, can only happen when a child is interested. It's kind of where the, the quote comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's not interested in what you're trying to teach them, and I see this in my, in my own kid, it's like throwing marshmallows at their head and calling it eating. <laughs> and and that's a lot of what's going on in our pharmacy yeah. today. You know, we come in from a, a, a conference like Connect or NCPA, right. and oh my gosh, I learned about this great this great new service we're going to offer, and they don't even. They don't even know if they're interested in in hearing what you have to say or not. You know, tell them what's in it for them. Lower that barrier to trial. We see that a lot of times with um, email, right? You get however many gigabytes for free, right? And right. then you, you fall in love with it, and it says, "Hey, we're going to start charging you ninety nine cents because you've out you've outgrown your storage." Or Dropbox is another one. Yeah, you know? right. Dropbox. Did you, that. You've outgrown it. You know, and and those are examples that Jonah gives. But you know, if you can get people to show up their best selves, and you and you can use these barriers to change and try to help motivate them. Um, and, and then people can choose, you know, how they're going to show up. Um, and I, I would say, you know, another thing is people kind of get stuck in a, in a, a plan and almost everyone that works for me today would probably tell you that what they're doing for me today is not at all what they thought they were hired for. Right. But it's, because <laughs> that, that's kind of the pioneer said, motto, right? <laughs> that's kinda, yeah. That's what happens here too. <laughs> I was all time. Yeah. Pioneer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I talked to four or five different pioneer employees at, at the convention, at the conference you guys had. And, um, Hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. They say, Oh, well, I'm doing this now for the company, you know? And it's like, Oh, do you like that? And they said, well, you know what? I actually love it. It's actually pretty good. I really like that. You know? And so that's the key is, is, you know, I am a pharmacist who loves to be a pharmacist, but I could, I spend all my days, you know, coaching. I love to be employee engagement and get people to show up their best self and, and ultimately just move pharmacy forward by, by doing that. Gosh, that's really good. So you're teaching, uh, we kind of glossed over it, but you're teaching a boot camp at NCPA, correct? And mm-hmm. it's coming October. What date are you doing? Like, I just want to tell everybody who, who's listening or who listens to this and watches it. When is that? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually started that boot camp through Farm Further. Okay. And, and was doing that um, very successfully. And then um, NCPA, they used to do a, a program. Um, I think it was called DAPSA or something similar to that. Um, it was another bootcamp they used to do and, and it, that company's kind of fallen out and they haven't been able to perform the last few years. And so, um, brainstorming with them, diabetes education is one of the clinical ways we can be seen as an office visit type person, you know, a physician, if you will. Right. And so I had said, Hey, we really need to get more pharmacies accredited for this. And, and I've been teaching this class. I have it down to six weeks. People can spend six weeks with me and have the accreditation done. And when, when I went through it, it took me 11 months, you know, oh, wow. um, to figure it out by myself. And so they, they come for a week and then I, I teach for an hour and then they have a week to do the homework that I assign. Okay. And then they come another week and they teach for an hour and then they have another week to do the homework that I assign. And I start the beginning of the weeks with the projects that are going to take longer for them so that by the end of the six weeks they can be done. And so uh, NCPA said, hey, yes, we need to be get, getting people accredited um, you know, would you be willing to to take the program you've already designed and teach that for us? And um, it's been a phenomenal relationship. NCPA has been wonderful to work with. Uh, we have found, um, you know, even umbrella opportunities to go into oh, cool. to help people kind of get up to the next level. And uh, people have got so much opportunity knocking at their door in community pharmacy, depending on the state they live in, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what MAC they have, what commercial payers are interested in their area, people are really starting to see the value of the pharmacist. And so um, so now I, it's been so successful, I now exclusively teach that boot camp through NCPA. Okay. And um, we've been teaching three or four a year based on, you know, outcomes and whatever other products we have going on. We guarantee three a year um, and so we have a, I have a class that just graduated and then I offer free office hours afterwards once a week cool. to help them work through any implementation barriers, you know, that are really unique. Um, 
And then I teach them how to set up a very profitable program in those two weeks um, after they're accredited and all that's done, how to actually do the education by using two hours a week. If you can just give me two hours a week to do patient appointments, I can I can make you $560 an hour for Medicare. Oh, nice. Um, just two hours a week. That's the need. that's the group rate, right? That's the that's the that's the group rate. Yeah, yeah, you can educate twenty people at a time, um, and so it's very it's a very good program. And you get a bill on the provider side. Your provider's in your town, so you use your provider. Right. Um, our next class is going to launch on October the twelfth. Okay. And so um, you know, it's also been fun for me because people can get a taste of me in a very you know rigid curriculum where I have a very proven process. And then they can decide if they want to do other coaching opportunities with me. Um, I'm always willing to hear an idea, but I'll be the first one to tell you if I'm not the expert. You know, if if they come to me and say, I want help with this, I'm very different from most business coaches because I'll be the first to say, you know, I think that's important and you need to work on that. But I, that is not something that I'm either interested in or it's not something that I know a lot about. You know, you need to go talk to Benjamin Jolly or you need to talk to Amina Babakar. Right. You know, you need to go to the other subject matter experts. And, um, or, you know, maybe it's something that, I don't do, but I, I know a little bit about, and I would like to dabble in it. And so I'll just flat out say, tell you what, I'm going to help you with this. I don't know a lot about it. I'm going to help you for free. I'm not going to charge you because it's going to be a learning process for yeah. me as we go. And some of my probably more fun projects have been those where we've tried something crazy and we can't believe how well it works. That's so great. Well, shoot, man. I think we filled right. it up. Yep. Well, Travis, yeah. man, thanks so much for, for coming on. A couple things. Uh, can you say your email real quick? Yeah, Travis at farmfurther.com, yep. P-H-A-R-M-F-U-R-T-H-R. And then one other thing I want to just do a plug for real quick. Let's do it. Um, I, you know, I'm only one person, and my coaching schedule stays, you know, completely full. So I have created some free resources and a free weekly coaching tip. Um, people can go to group dot farmfurther.com g-r-o-u-p dot farmfurther.com it's going to ask a few questions about you and your pharmacy because i'm trying to figure out what your what problems you're trying to solve it's not that i'm going to call you and try to sell to you Um, but if they'll just answer those two or three questions they will get access to some free implementation guides i've designed they'll get access to um, i have a quick start to employee engagement because it's really helpful for me if you'll go try those three or four things first before you ever get to my coaching. Um, and we can hit the ground running and get results quicker. So if, if group.farmfurther.com, um, and then every week I put additional information and, um, you know, hey, I had a coaching client dealing with this, and I think everyone deals with this at some point. So here's the research I found, and here's how you can apply this to your workflow. Um, if this is interesting to you, you know, let me know. I'll send you the articles and the research and the plan. Um, so I, I'm able to reach a lot of people that way. Yeah. So if anyone is, uh, and some people are afraid to ask for help too. You know, they, they, again, they don't have bad culture. So yeah. <laughs> um, they can come and they can dabble. And then I'll have some that'll message me and say, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe this article that you have. You know, this is, this hits the nail on the head for me. This is totally my problem right now. I, I didn't see it. And and I can meet them where they're at without them having to, you know, sit on the waiting list for coaching too long. Right. So. Right. Nice, man. Um, also, remember uh, the other thing you reached out, uh, you were telling people to reach out to you about uh, the uh, CMS issue. Yes. Okay. Yes. I still need that data. I've, I've got, you know, the, the ironic thing is when I initially had the, the first conversation, I initially asked pharmacists and I had over a hundred responses of people that said, yes, we have problems billing medical. And then two weeks later, I said, all right, I got their attention. I need your NPI and your MAC. And then crickets. Oh. I had seven or eight people. So there are some of them are my coaching clients. And I've called and I've said, why don't you want to give your information? And I, I could go look up their NPI if I wanted to. Right. But I, I want their permission because they might get contacted by Medicare. And I want them to know what's going on. And here's the, the really sad thing about it is it has become so hard for us to get paid that by the time the pharmacist deals with the MAC and the biller, they're convinced that they are the problem. Oh. And that I build something incorrectly I and it's it my wrong. fault. Uh, I did it wrong. And so I'm embarrassed and I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want anyone looking at my NPI because it was all my own mistake. And so I've had a, a lot bigger battle than I thought I would trying to convince people that it's not you. You know, you're doing everything right. right. It's the system that's set up and I need to prove that to people. So um, I'm, I've tried to, I've already sent the first um, collection of data with the agreement that I would add to it every week with anyone else that came forward. So okay. I'm still giving them information. So anyone that has 
anything built on the medical side. It doesn't have to be diabetes education. It can be uh, COVID vaccines. Right. Uh, mon monoclonal antibodies are really interesting because those were also built with a pharmacist NPI, just like COVID vaccines. Okay. But they're not getting paid for. Hmm. Um, you know, anyone who has the DME POS accreditation, so if they're billing for walkers and wheelchairs and ostomy bags, um, you know, I think it's interesting. We do diabetic shoes at my store too. Okay. Uh, we had to send someone to a, a certified shoe fitter orthotics class to get a certification for that, but they can't bill under an orthotics NPI because they're also a pharmacist. We have to, we have to bill into the pharmacy. So, you know, anyone who has anything that they think they should be getting paid for, they have problems with, or maybe they figured out how to get paid, but it always comes back at least once or twice. I just need the NPI number and the Mac that you're in. That's all I need. And then Medicare will go find all the information for us. Great. Well, good deal. All right. Well, I think, man, I think that wraps us up, Travis. Thanks so much for, for jumping on with us. We learned so much. I feel like I've learned so much just about people and teams and team dynamics and staff engagement, man. I know you could teach a lot. So uh, again, thank you for everything you do for pharmacy as well. And thanks for jumping on. Yeah. I appreciate you guys too. And appreciate the opportunity to be here and, I think we all need to be a little bit more like pioneer. I love how we get to vote ideas up or down. You know, if we could do that as a profession, we might actually move forward faster too because we could all, you know, have a consensus oh, and yeah. agree on things that we want to do. So um, anyway, let's do this again. I really enjoyed it. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you. See you, Travis. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.